Hello, this is Key Ideas, and I'm your host, Leela This. This podcast contemplates the rhythm of life as a piano teacher and music maker. Through illuminating interviews and transparent reflections, you'll feel validated, encouraged, and empowered. I'm pleased to share this episode with the brilliant Andrea Miller. About five years ago, I started following Andrea Miller on social media and then began listening to her podcast, The Music Studio Startup. I often wondered how a 15-year-old could be such a seasoned expert on the topic of music teaching and business. I've come to find out that Andrea is not 15. She graduated from college a number of years ago, has launched a successful career as an entrepreneur in the music business, and is married with two children. Perhaps you've already been an avid fan of her podcast, enrolled in her courses, or heard one of her many timely presentations at national conferences. Today, you're in for a treat, as Andrea shares how she developed her career, straddling both music and business. In my day, those never came as a packaged deal. You'll learn about the tools she's designed to help music teachers who resist the business side of their profession to manage their studios. We cover some common mistakes teachers make when it comes to running their studios, and you'll appreciate her wisdom on how she balances her life as entrepreneur, wife, and mom. But first, here's good friend Renee Holloman to tell you more about Andrea. Andrea Miller is known in music circles for being a piano teacher and the host of Music Studio Startup Podcast, a show that delves into all aspects of business ownership for independent music teachers and music school owners. Although Andrea started teaching piano in high school, her first career aspirations were entrepreneurial, and she has always kept a foot in both the music and business worlds. In addition to her teaching studio, Andrea runs several businesses of her own and has served on the startup team and as a consultant for many others. She has worked with entrepreneurs in a variety of industries, from retail to hospitality to legal publishing. And she particularly enjoys working with music teachers who want to build personally fulfilling and financially stable careers in music. She's a nerd at heart, and her clients will be the first to tell you that she's prone to spontaneous spreadsheet making as a way of processing business decisions. Her enthusiasm for number crunching has proven to be contagious because even the most numberphobic clients continue to come back for more. In her free time, Andrea can be found with her husband and two boys, rehabbing their 1911 home and enjoying life in St. Louis. Now, here's Leela with Andrea. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Leela. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, it's a pleasure to chat with you today here on Key Ideas, and I'm a huge fan of your podcast, The Music Studio Startup, and I was honored to be a guest on your podcast, but that's not actually how I first heard of you. It was back when I was mentoring graduate students at the University of Denver, and a graduate student named Casey Loudon just went on and on. She gushed about you and told me I had to check you out. And, and to her credit, she also did say that I thought she thought I had a good voice for podcasting. So uh, <laughs> maybe that's where this podcast came from. But uh, and then I think you also did a nice little plug for Bradley Sowash and I when we were doing a webinar. I think you plugged us on a social media. Oh, possibly. possibly. That yes. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, this interview is a long time in coming and I know it's worth the wait. So I do definitely thank you for spending time with me today. Oh, that's so fun. And shout out to Casey. Thanks for making that introduction. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I learn a lot from a lot of people. <laughs> it takes a village for me. That's for sure. 
But I want to dive right in. Now, when I was talking with you for the podcast that I was going to be on, on your podcast, the episode that I was going to be on, on your podcast, we were talking about how we both fell into this profession. And I think it was very fascinating that you became a musician and a business expert together at the same time. And usually those two professions don't come bundled into a typical college degree. So I'd love for the listeners to hear your story. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say it really goes back to when I was like three or four years old. And I told my parents I wanted to open a used car dealership. Like I've always been interested in <laughs> entrepreneurship. I don't know where the used car dealership thing came from. Um, and that has not come to fruition yet. No, okay. I always say yes, well, because who knows? Right? But <laughs> Okay. And now, I, you know, we used to think of them as slimy, but I, I don't <laughs> think of you as slimy. So it is an interesting <laughs> profession that you thought of. So yeah, I mean, my parents were not in business. They were not in car sales or anything. So I really don't know where that came from. Um, but I think I... I don't know. I've just been predisposed to that since a young age. So then I always was starting businesses as a kid and just loved it so much. Always read all the books I could get from the library on entrepreneurship. I remember learning to spell entrepreneurship because it's kind of hard, but I oh, yeah. needed to be able to search it in the library card catalog. So, um, yeah. And then I almost, I feel like entrepreneurship was really like my first love. And then I had um, some great piano teachers and I, I feel like I fell more into piano teaching than um, than entrepreneurship even because we happened to have a, a piano in the living room. And so mm -hmm. I happened to play, you know, and if we didn't, where would I be today? I don't know. Um, and then I had teachers, uh, especially my first teacher who was really good at finding challenges for me. And I was someone who thrived on challenge. So she would put one in front of me and I would chase it. And I think that like hooked me on piano was just the, there was always something to challenge me. Um, oh, I am yeah. curious. Can we pause a minute? What was one of the challenges she gave you? Oh, so I did the guild auditions Oh yes. and yeah. she told me about the national level and you could do 10 to 14 pieces. And I was like, I'll do that. Um, uh, which is, you know, different when you're eight and your pieces are a page long yes. than it is when you're 14 or something. Um, but yeah, she just, she just told me about the things that I could do. And I really credit her for that. Like that is the thing that I took away from my first piano teacher mm. was just, you can always find some way to, um, make taking the next steps exciting. When she gave you aspiration, mm -hmm. it sounds like, you, so you are a goal setter and a goal achiever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Those two work well in the business and the piano world. They do. They do. All right. So yeah. take us beyond the piano teaching. Yeah. So then I started teaching when I was in high school and that kind of happened on accident. You know, just a, a friend asked if I could teach their daughter. Um, and already I had planned to study business in college. Um, but then I just started taking piano more seriously in high school. And again, having teachers who challenged me. And so I didn't want to just drop it and um, kind of, I guess, middle school, high school is when I decided I would open a multi-teacher studio. And so then the natural oh. step to me seemed like, okay, well, I, I know I'm doing business and this is where I was pretty naive. And I thought I could major in music or I could minor and I'd be practicing the same amount. It'd be the same amount of work, <laughs> mm -hmm. which anyone who's majored in music knows that is not true. That is the thoughts of a 17 year old. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> so 
um, yeah, that was kind of in high school. It was just, I had a teacher who sort of assumed I'd be a music major and I naively thought it'd be the same amount of work to major as minor. So that's how I ended up studying both. Um, and my, my primary degree is technically in business, but it was really, you're doing the core requirements for both the business school and the music department. And, um, yeah, it was a lot of, that was a lot of work. <laughs> so you were never prompted by someone to consider a business and a music degree together. That was, that was Andrea's idea. That was your idea. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I came to find out later after I graduated that my parents thought it was a really bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And why would they think that? Um, because money is finite and, um, they had always done a really good job setting expectations for us, like growing up on, you know, you're going to have to pay for a significant portion of your college and all of that. And they were worried that I wouldn't be able to finish the two degrees in four years, which is totally reasonable. Um, and did they really know their daughter? Because <laughs> I had no doubt in my mind that you would finish in four years. <laughs> well, I give them credit because they do a good job of, um, they'll have their opinions, but they often don't share them uh, um, if they think it'll influence me in a way that'll limit me. So there have been many times in my life where they've shared after the fact that they thought a decision I made was a bad one and it ended up working out all right. <laughs> Well, good on those parents. Good for them. Yeah. So, and did you get any feedback from teachers in both communities that were puzzled by what you were doing here? Why were you Constantly. doing music and business? Okay. Really? Okay. Constantly. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. They often felt at odds with each other. Mm -hmm. um, partially just the way the course schedule was set up. So the business school often would have guest speakers come in, entrepreneurs coming in and talking on Friday afternoons. Well, that's also the time that the music department had set aside for student recitals. So there's often this clash, um, just logistical clashes between the two. And then there was the, you know, music teachers, I think, have their agendas for their students mm -hmm. <laughs> that aren't necessarily aligned with the students' goals or agendas. I think we have to I have to check myself, you know, as a teacher, making sure I'm not uh -huh. pushing my own agenda on a student. But um, I definitely felt that from the music department. Um, the business professors seem to be more uh, open-minded about it, I guess, maybe because they were used to people combining majors. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of, um, you know, you should be in the practice room. Uh, you need to be spending more time in the, this hallway and all those things from the music department. And it really came to a head my senior year, actually, because I had my senior recital scheduled. And then I had entered a business plan competition in the fall and got placed high enough in the state level that I could go to the national level. And the date of the national business plan competition was the same day as my recital, but it was in California and my recital was in St. Louis. Uh -oh. And it just felt like this, you know, great moment of the two combining <laughs> together. What a way to finish a senior year. So I remember going into my music advisor's office and I brought chocolate <laughs> and I said, Hey, got a favor to ask. Um, and so we rescheduled the recital and I did the business plan competition and, but it, it ended up being a really neat senior year because my, I invited my business school professors to come to my recital and they were it was just like these things collided and um, 
don't know. It was like everything I'd been working for for four years was it, it had always made sense to me, but it was like it finally clicked with both professors on both sides um, right. when they saw that I was wanting to combine these two and build a business out of it. Well, and that's the other thing is combining these two is the smartest thing that we could do nowadays. And I'm hoping mm -hmm. that things have changed. But when I graduated with a master's degree in piano pedagogy and performance, I did not think of myself as a businesswoman. I was perhaps a piano teacher and a piano player, but I was not a businesswoman. And mm -hmm. guess what I'm doing most of the time? <laughs> it's a lot of business and managing customers and doing numbers and taxes. And, you know, if I could do it all over again, I would be an Andrea. So <laughs> do you think a lot of people are following in your footsteps now? I think so. And I think there's more options for entrepreneurial kinds of degrees and certificates and minors and things like that, which they're wasn't before and I will say too there was a big um how it felt like a, a big separation even within the business school between a, a standard business degree and an entrepreneurship degree oh, okay. because when you look at a business degree your accounting classes are starting at okay this is your um 10 million dollar company and an entrepreneurship finance class starts at this is zero <laughs> or negative a hundred thousand dollars um and how do you go from there so I will say when I mean, I've got people asking me all the time, like what business classes should I take? And it's kind of hard to recommend things um, because they, if you're taking a general accounting class or business class, it might just start at a place that's irrelevant for an entrepreneur anyway. Um, but there are more options and there are more entrepreneurial finance classes and, um, you know, entrepreneurship in the arts and just like more survey level classes that might not go as deep as a business degree, but are more realistic to fit in to, uh, you know, add to your schedule of an already very full music curriculum. Mm -hmm. um, so I do see it shifting, but it's, it still can be a challenge. Well, and I think that's where you kind of fill in the gaps. So I, I noticed your tagline at your site is helping teachers thrive as entrepreneurs. So we kind of talked about this already when it, when did it first occur to you that piano teaching is a business and teachers might need help? So, okay. Mm -hmm. We know that you have felt that it has been a business from day one. Mm -hmm. And when did you realize that other teachers may need help with their own business? Yeah. Um, so I had run my multi-teacher studio. That's what I started right after I graduated. I can't believe you did that. Like, <laughs> and is that, is that still up and running? You still have multi-teachers teaching for it, you? It is running. I no longer run it, which is kind of oh. how I got to where I am today. Um, oh. I, yeah, I started that business, was ready to run it for, I figured I'd run it at least 10 years because I, okay. I like lots of different things, but, mm -hmm. um, and then I got married and that throws all kinds of wrenches into things. So my husband's job actually relocated and to 900 miles away. I wasn't going to take this studio with me. Okay. And so I passed that studio off. It does is still running today. Um, it's kind of funny because the teacher running it now has been running it longer than I did. Mm. Um, and a lot of the teachers teaching there have been involved more longer than I was. But um, so I had had this experience, you know, running a multi-teacher studio, loved working with the startups. And then we moved and I didn't know how long we'd be in that new place. And it was not fun to leave the studio. And oh. I was like, I got four years in, I did all this, like the legwork of starting yeah. something. Um, and I didn't want to constantly be restarting if we were, mm -hmm. if our life was going to be such that we were moving every few years. So that's when I started working with 
solo entrepreneurs and other business owners um, starting their businesses. And I realized I love doing this. I love working with other people. Um, I have a passion for teaching music and I was always teaching on the side too. Mm -hmm. Um, But I realized that the entrepreneurs I was working with had the same questions as music teachers were asking about taxes or finance or marketing or anything like that. And so I did just decide to take what I was working with general business owners and pivot it to working with music teachers and making it specific in that way. So, so right now you are not in charge of a multi teacher studio. Correct. And you passed it along and now Mm -hmm. you are helping people build multi teacher Mm -hmm. studios, multi teacher, some solo teacher, kind of everything. Nice. Nice. And Okay. Now I I know someone who owns a multi-teacher studio and is interested in passing it off, passing Mm -hmm. it along, which you did. And is this like a dentist practice or a doctor's practice where someone else pays you for what you've established? Could be, could be. Yeah. There's getting to (laughs) be more and more precedent for that. I think Um, there wasn't, or I wasn't aware of it at the time. And I actually think I got um, not great advice on okay. how to pass it off. I am really happy with the way the transition worked for me. Um, but I do think, uh, sometimes we sell ourselves short as, as business owners. So wouldn't it be nice if you were still getting royalties from every single lesson that was taught <laughs> in that, that studio? That could be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that didn't happen. You didn't have... Yeah. yeah and I'm, I'm super yeah. happy and, you know, really good friends still with the, yes. the owner who took it over. So I have, I have no, um, no regrets, but I do think I, um, I didn't get advice from someone with knowledge in the industry. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I would have liked to have considered other options and yeah. also something I do try to delve into on the podcast and have interviewed several teachers who have sold businesses or done different, done the transitions differently. Uh, because yeah, I just think it's, there are options. There are always options and it's good to consider them. So let's dive mm-hmm. into these tools then that you offer to help mm-hmm. teachers build their solo. I like the word solo or multi-teacher uh-huh. studios. So what kind of tools do you have? Yeah. Um, so my big passion is I want teachers to be able to like hold their own in a business conversation. So if you're talking to a banker or a potential investor or trying to sell your business, like I want I want teachers to really know the business side of it and have confidence in that. Not like, oh, this is the part of the business that I I don't understand. And I just trust someone else is going to take care of it or my accountant or something like that. So um, I do try to make sure everything is like grounded in standard business finance. And where were you? Where were you back (laughs) 20 years ago? I just would... (laughs) I'd see stars circling up around my head when they started talking, Uh, you know, it was embarrassing and it was, I I don't know that it was really hard to dive into it all when you didn't know a thing. So it's really hard. Yeah. And there's, there's no translators. So I try to be a translator. That's what it is for business to music. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I have a couple of offerings right now. I have my business building one-on-one course that just kind of guides teachers through, what I think are the the key decisions you have to make to build a sustainable studio. And I always describe mm. like sustainable is um, something that's fulfilling to you as a teacher mm. and also mm. financially sustainable. Mm-hmm. And so all those, all those key decisions to set up a studio that is, can, can achieve that. 
Um, and then kind of after that course, I realized that teachers, there was a big gap between a solo teacher and a multi-teacher studio and particularly on the finance area. And since I like mm -hmm. to nerd out about that and do mm -hmm. spreadsheets, um, oh, I just for you. Yeah. <laughs> started my finance course and that's for more the, the multi-teacher studio or, or even a solo studio owner who wants to, maybe they're looking at making a big investment in their studio, like renting a space or buying a space, or um, they're starting, looking at starting this business that's going to cost $50,000 in startup expenses. And maybe they're taking out a loan and just like bigger financial decisions that you don't really want to make from your gut. <laughs> and so I get into um, how to read financial statements and put together financial projections so you can like have a more informed way of looking at those decisions. Um, hmm. And wow. with, with, <laughs> I just keep thinking, oh my, <laughs> I didn't have any of those things. I, I was and, like, okay, here's my budget. Oh, that's how much I spent. Okay. But anyway, okay. Keep going. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's no reason that you should know it. And really, yeah. I should say it's, it's kind of a, a business language that you do yes. learn in business school, mm -hmm. but there are lots of people who are professionals and don't know this either. No. And yeah, even though it touches every industry, it does. We'll get right back to our conversation. But first, I have a few questions for you. Do you suffer from decision fatigue when attempting to improvise? Do you avoid sitting down to improvise at the piano because that persistent voice of judgment says, you should stick to Beethoven? Do you improvise, but feel overwhelmed when it comes to turning your ideas into a composition? Do you panic when a student walks into a lesson with something they created at the keys because you're stumped on how to help them further explore their ideas? If you answered yes to any or all of my questions, it's high time you join a Composium. A Composium is a four-week class with a step-by-step -step process that shows you how to organize your ideas into a rock-solid structure and notate them in NoteFlight. Here's what Marie Lee, a first-time composer and expert group teacher, said about the Composium. I have actually never liked composing until now. This approach is really working for me. Because the Composium formula works, many alums are returning for more. It's because they rub shoulders with other creatives in a safe and nurturing community. There are five different Composiums scheduled throughout the summer of 2023 with dates and times that are friendly to almost any time zone. And now there's a choice. You can choose to learn how to arrange or compose or sign up for both. I can't wait to meet you and your creativity this summer. Now back to my chat with Andrea. Awesome. I know, get back I on? know. I interrupted you, but you, okay. You were talking about your second course because you have your 101 yeah. course and then what's your next course? Mm -hmm. Your solo um, yeah, and your finance. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So I noticed that there were teachers who were like wanting to make these big decisions and just not having the information or not having tools to equip them to make them in a in a really healthy way. Um, and I, yeah, I want teachers to be empowered to like really own those decisions. Not like, I think I'm doing the right thing here, but really just be able to feel good about them. Um, and then the third program I have is a mastermind, which is part accountability group, part um, group coaching. And those are small groups of teachers. And this is 
I have so much fun in these because they're teachers who have all different goals. Maybe they're building their private teaching studio. Maybe they're building a multi-teacher studio. Maybe they're going to multiple locations. And so it's a group of teachers all working towards different goals. And we are super supportive, you know, keep each other on track and do a lot of more strategic work, um, goal setting, uh, tracking, and and then troubleshooting along the way with whatever decisions are getting us stuck and share resources and all that. So those are kind of the things. Um, nice. But all always trying to center around figuring out what a, the teacher actually wants for themselves, not not a prescripted model of a business mm-hmm. that I think they should have or someone else. Again, taking away that agenda um, and just right. helping teachers kind of kind of thrive. Well, two things. First of all, I love the word sustainable because we have seasons in our lives. And I would say our profession as piano teachers, we can load them up if we need to, Mm -hmm. and we can take off the student load when we need to be a mommy or a daddy or whatever. And so it's a beautiful profession. And yet whatever season we're in, we want it to be sustainable so that we, we, we can fluctuate with our lives and For not sure. very many professions can do that. So I think that's such a good word. Yeah. Yeah. And you really can invent your studio to be whatever you want it to look like. Yeah. yeah. I love it for that reason. And you can scale up. You can say, oh, this yes. is a season where I can teach 50 students. And this is a season where I only want to teach 25. And yeah, I think it's great. And then the second thing is that you are in contact with people one-on-one and you know Uh, what they're going through. And a lot of times, you know, and probably personally have been through some of their mistakes that they've made. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) what do you see uh, teachers? uh, What are are the main or common mistakes that you see teachers making? Yeah, for sure. The biggest one, I think, is trying to build a studio vision that's not your own. Mm -hmm. And where I see this come up, actually, is in enforcing studio policies if a teacher is having a hard time enforcing their policy, it's because it's not their policy. They've adopted someone else's policy and it, they don't like it. Like they, so, um, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, trying to build a studio that someone else has told you you should build or that defines someone else's version of success and is not your own. Um, that one I see over and over and over. Yeah. And, um, and it's tough because, you know, you, you might be looking at advice from people and see someone really established saying to do something one way and it, it might be great for their context and it just doesn't make sense for yours. So um, I think that's the biggest thing. And it's hard to have that self-awareness of mm-hmm. what you want, especially when you're starting out. But mm-hmm. Well, you have this banner of, oh, I should be doing this, which I learned early on, don't should on yourself. <laughs> and so, yes, that is true to stand up, take people's ideas and then make them your own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So, okay. Yeah. That's first mistake. What's another mistake? Yeah. Another one, it kind of piggybacks on that, but the idea of um, like crowdsourcing uh, advice. Um, <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> like, so you're talking about a face group forum, like, Hey, what do you think? And then, yeah. And, oh. and great way to gather ideas, but okay. you have to filter them through mm-hmm. your own goals or your own vision. Um, so yeah, should I hire another teacher? Well, maybe, maybe it depends. What do you want to be manager? Do you enjoy your solo teaching? Um, yeah, someone, yeah, there is no one best path. And, 
Um, well, I think right away people think that, oh, you must be successful if you are hiring other teachers. And when I look at it now, I do not want to manage others. That is so mm -hmm. not in my wheelhouse. And so I know I would not be successful, even if that is deemed successful. I would mm -hmm. not be successful at that. Mm -mm. And there are so many thriving solo studio owners who are more profitable <laughs> at mm -hmm. the end of the day, really just leaning into that and doing it really well. And I, I see more thriving solo teachers than um, I also see a lot of uh, struggling multi-teacher mm -hmm. studio owners who, yeah, I think they should be doing it. Maybe they don't even really want to. Um, certainly you can, like there are business models to support either goal, but just do the thing you want to do. Mm -hmm. Do the job that sounds fun for you, not yeah. not what. Well, you know, and I'm thinking what, what I'm hearing in your mistakes is that teachers are assuming that they have to do what everybody else does and kind of looking inward. And I just remember I had a moment where things changed, a light bulb moment where I decided that, oh my goodness, I really don't want to teach from three to seven, the bewitching hours. I, uh -huh. you know, I was really not liking that, uh, but then it just worked for our family. It, it was, you know, what I could do after I looked at other careers, like maybe I just want to go work at a coffee shop. I don't know. You know I had a, <laughs> but what it came down to, I read Philip Johnson's book, I don't know which one it was, but the dynamic studio, it has this big, long name <laughs> and it made me decide that, you know what, I'm going to do this and I'm going to have fun doing this. And suddenly when I took ownership of what I was doing in a lesson, I enjoyed myself. And that's when I think we become sustainable in our business. Uh -huh. Is that kind of where you're at too? Yeah. Yeah. So reinventing the lesson itself made it yes. fun for you and Correct. changed. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it, and then it was, oh, I can charge money for this. And wow, people are doing better, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. But it is, it sounds like you really want teachers to think about who they are and what their own goals are before mm -hmm. they start listening to everybody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I love your, your example, because if, if you had asked that question, like, how do I not teach from three to seven, you would have gotten answers like, do in-school programs or do early childhood or something like that. And that didn't really matter. Like at, it was really about you finding it a job that was worth having from three to seven. You know, right. it sounds like, yeah. Oh yeah. It, it, and it definitely transformed. In fact, I don't know. I talked about this with somebody else too. And they're like, well, did you document that moment? Like, no, I don't remember, <laughs> but it was a mental shift that really propelled me into my teaching. And then I never looked back. Mm -hmm. You know, then I was always excited about it. So, okay. So I'm hearing a common theme with the common mistakes, any other mistakes, maybe a little tinier mistakes that we tend to mm -hmm. make. Um, yeah, I guess I think the business side, I mean, this is usually what I'm talking about is the business side mm -hmm. of things and you don't have to love it to do it well, even, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. um, giving it a little bit of attention and systematizing it um, can reduce the stress <laughs> of the business side. Um, can you, you give us an example of what a system might look like for a teacher, you know, who is yeah. lacking in that? Like mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be everything, but yeah, give us an example. Yeah. So we're here in March recording, not sure when this will air, but mm -hmm. taxes aren't on everyone's ah. mind right now. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, oh, I yeah. had to go there. <laughs> yes. Um, and I, there, there are so many little routines you can implement throughout the year that are going to take five minutes a week, 
to maintain mm -hmm. your finances. So your tax year is just a breeze. Like truly, you can do most of your accounting in 10 to 15 minutes a week. Um, or depending on the scale of your studio, you might want, it might make sense to do it once a month or every other week, or, you know, a few minutes just each week. Um, but it's, it's, you have to give some attention, some forethought to setting up that system, but then your tax season is not stressful. And so you don't have to love the business side to still do it well. And actually, I think that could be a lot of motivation to just dedicate one quarter to getting some systems in place mm -hmm. to make it something you don't have to think about every single day and just, just dread. <laughs> yes. Well, and I just finished my tax report that I submit to my tax accountant who happens to be my husband who just <laughs> works down, works down the hallway here. And we love TurboTax, but every year I get a little bit better at getting all my numbers together. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. I notice that, wait a minute, I'm struggling with this area. I need to improve this. So, you know, I, I do think a system is so important and every year that system is going to get a little bit better. Do you find that in your yes. life? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you don't need to overcomplicate the system for the stage you're at. So like with taxes, continuing that example, my first year was nothing, you know, in high school, keeping yeah. no records and then mm -hmm. looking at my bank statement at the end of the year is the, the reference. And then the next year I started keeping the Excel spreadsheet and then kind of just expanding on that. Um, and then kind of building out that Excel spreadsheet. So it automatically categorized my expenses and then studio management software came in and doing mm -hmm. that. So yeah, just that whatever the next little step is, um, you don't have to jump into a huge complex system if that's not the way your brain works. Um, but just, yeah, little by little mm -hmm. getting more organized. Okay. So it doesn't just come in one big explosion. Yeah, I'm going to be in Andrea tomorrow and I'm going to have my whole life figured out business-wise. Oh, no, this is all many years in the making. Yes, yes. So speaking of which, you wear uh, substantial and admirable hats as a business owner. So you also uh, happen to be a, a wife and a mom. So you have a lot of hats to balance. So how does this happen? Yeah, I was trying <laughs> to think of a way to answer this question that was... Um, both honest and um and helpful or encouraging wait a minute um, you're, you're not going to say that it's all just shiny and bright over there every moment of the day not always not always mm, that's um, hard. yeah so but I'm I am content actually my husband and I often reflect on our life is kind of crazy but I think we've put boundaries on the crazy in a way mm. that we're satisfied um, okay. So like that. yeah. Um, so my days from, you know, eight to five or something are pretty, pretty crazy. Like sometimes I get to the end of them. I'm like, what even happened today? I don't know. <laughs> it's just really? a blur. Okay. Um, and then I, the kids come home and there's the own family crazy. And then for a few hours until they're in bed. Um, so they're crazy days, like individually, they are crazy. Mm -hmm. I think we've done a lot of discussion about what is our vision for our family and our work lives and our personal lives. And so we have a, a contentedness about this is the season we're in. 
it's going to be crazy during the days, but then we do turn it off and we're parents in the evenings mm. and on mm. weekends. And um, so we can tolerate the crazy okay. during the day of business and career and work. And so what do you think about that uh, phrase? Oh, you can have it all and everything's possible. What do you think? Do you believe in that? Now um, I've kind of, I've already <laughs> made a biased tone with that, but I've got an opinion, but I know there's so many things I don't do on both the personal <laughs> side and the business side. And I, my, I had a stay-at-home mom growing up and I knew I wouldn't be a stay-at-home full-time stay-at-home mom. Um, I am, I feel very fortunate that right now we, we wanted to keep our kids home some days. So my husband and I each take a weekday off and are with the kids. Okay. Um, so I feel like we've been able to, again, strike that balance of what mm-hmm. we, what we value. Um, but I also knew I'd go crazy if I was full-time stay-at-home mom. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I ha- have it all, but I have what I want. <laughs> so, so I see it working. Yeah. And there are a lot of things um, on the business side. Like I generally don't work after dinners. I generally don't work um, Saturday mornings. Sometimes I'll get a two, couple hours during nap time. But um, so there's a lot I don't do on the business side. Um, on the personal side, there's a lot I don't do there. Like I haven't hosted a birthday party for my kids. Okay. Um, and my my oldest is almost four. Um, and I think when when the helpful things I did on the parenting side, when when I had kids was knowing that what my mom's role looked like in my life growing up was going to be substantially different because mm-hmm. I was not a stay-at-home mom full-time. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of, uh, I just got rid of the baseline. I was like, I'm starting from zero and building what this looks like fresh mm-hmm. from nothing instead of mm-hmm. this is what my mom did. I need to do these things, or this is what my sister does or um, whatever. So I think just throwing out any precedent was <laughs> really oh helpful. <laughs> I, I threw out what to expect when expecting or w- the first year. I remember that because my babies never slept when they were supposed <laughs> to, and they never, fe- I, anyway, I threw out a lot of books because <laughs> like I couldn't follow the rules. So okay. I, I know what you're talking about. You have to establish your own home and your own boundaries. So I appreciate that. And uh-huh. good for you. Yeah. And the only parenting books I read are by economists. So that's okay. probably... <laughs> <laughs> Well, at, what I have to say, looking back, is we were teen parenting. And I don't know if mm-hmm. you, is that kind of what you're doing as well? Yeah. Um, because I, sure. I, every once in a while, I wished I had a longer commute because I had just been with the boys <laughs> all day. And at three o'clock, it's now time to go teach. And so I hand, you know, here, he needs his diapers changed. And then <laughs> I have to go downstairs. I have to be all nice and Miss Leela. And, you know, uh-huh. there, I could have used just a few more minutes of, of buffer time before I had to change hats. But I totally understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super rely on my husband to do parenting as well and household yeah. things. We kind of share that. And, and I also have a team too with music studio startup mm-hmm. and, um, very capable people and I let them do their thing. And, mm. um, so you're not a micromanager. Well, I try not to be, <laughs> I try not to be, um, because I, I can't, that's one of yeah. the things that I can't do. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think we learn that as humans is that we can't do everything, but Mm-hmm. You do a few things very well, and I think more than just a few things. So, congratulations on getting it all together, and we look forward to seeing what comes next for you and um, your wonderful advice. I think it's filling a gap that many of us don't have. 
even with a college degree and maybe a few business classes, I bet you 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 are going to offer people so much more than what they could have ever learned in uh, one course in college. What do you think? Do you have an opinion on that? I bet you do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do try to curate it. So it, you know, makes Mm -hmm. sense. It's answering questions for a music teacher specifically. Um, So there's a lot you can learn about finance or accounting or marketing or anything. Um, But you're busy music teachers and you want to learn about pedagogy and how to teach chords and improvisation and things like that, that Lila can teach you. And um, so yeah, I, I want to like curate the content. So it really mm, appreciate that answer questions. Cause I only want to know what I need to know. My brain just doesn't have room for extras. Mm-hmm. So yeah, <laughs> we appreciate you for curating that for us, Andrea. So, and uh, so before you share a quote, I asked you for a quote, please tell us uh, what you're up to right now and where we can learn from you. Yeah. Um. So right now I just finished the first round of my finance course. This uh, winter was the first round of that. And then I've got the ongoing courses. I'll actually be taking maternity leave this summer. Um, oh, so that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. So thank you. Um, so I'm actually like gearing up for that time off, um, which mm-hmm. takes its own planning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but all those courses will still run. And again, my amazing team keeps it going. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nice. And you can find everything on musicstudiostartup.com. I'm also on Instagram at Music Studio Startup and Facebook at Music Studio Startup. Nice. And um, I listened to, it sounded like a little sister podcast yes. that's branching off from your podcast. So tell us about that. Yes. So I've been working with Amy Elmore um, to produce a podcast all about mindset and music teacher and running a business. Um, and that's Amy's got a background in psychology and counseling. Um, and I love the, just that level of professionalism she brings, um, Mm -hmm. to that whole conversation of mindset and the healthy approaches to the work-life balance questions and teaching and not just like us as entrepreneurs in our businesses, but also like, how do we impart that mindset, uh, healthy mindset to students? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that'll be that launching ex- um, later this spring. Oh, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's in my wheelhouse. I love talking about those kind of things. So I look yes. forward to that. <laughs> so before we go, uh, what quote do you have to share with us? Yes. So one I constantly remind myself of is the um, the perfect is the enemy of the good. That's the Voltaire. I think lots of people have quoted it in different ways, but mm. um, recovering perfectionistic classically trained piano player. Uh, that's something I'm always reminded of in business and in parenting and oh, all the ways there's so much, um, I can always see the better way to do something and I have to be okay with good is enough. Good enough. Oh, very good. Mm. Well, we'll close with that. Thank you so much, Andrea, for joining me. Thank you so much, Lula. If I could start all over again, I'd be enrolling in every course Andrea has to offer. I appreciate her savvy perspective and the way she's curated her knowledge of what teachers really need to know in order to run a successful and sustainable business. Make sure to head to the show notes for links to her courses, her podcast, and where to follow Andrea on social media. And don't forget to check out the Composium and find a date and time that works for you. Your creativity will thank you. 
This is Key Ideas, and I'm Leela Viss. See you in the trenches, and thankful that my taxes are filed.